Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. You know what satisfied me today, Andy? Let me tell you, we have refrained from talking politics on this show, despite the giant backdrop that we are living through. So I will say this much. I got a couple of DMs and messages, and thank you to everyone who reached out, saying that they were early voting in Chicago, in Cook County, noticing that there was someone on the ballot with the same last name as me. And was there a relation? Andy knows this to be true. In fact, that was my mom. (laughs) She was running for retention. Um, She's a judge, and she was running for her retention. And I was very satisfied by the results because she garnered 80% of the vote. And now we'll be able to serve on the bench for another six years. And I am so damn proud of her. Just want to say I was part of the get out the vote effort for uh, <laughs> Judge Loza, at least on the block. Yes, uh, thank you. So congratulations to her. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it, it was incredibly um, profound and I'm super, super proud of her. But this show is about football, fantasy, specifically football. So we will get to it. Um, that was my big thing emotionally for the week. Let's talk about your big thing from this first matchup between the Seattle Seahawks and the Buffalo Bills. Some wrinkles. People look at this and they think, oh my gosh, even Vegas, this should be a high scoring game. 55 over under. But oh, is the Seahawks defense going to be better than people are anticipating, Andy? Uh, um, well, oh. if people anticipate them to be, to you know, like historically bad, then um, yeah, they'll probably be a little bit better. I mean, they get Adams back. That's that's exciting. He's obviously a great player. They weave Carlos Dunlap into the mix a little bit, but they've been I mean, I I don't even know if their pass defense is really bad so much as because on a on a like on a per attempt basis, it's not terrible. They're not one of the league's worst or anything like that. They've actually had more pass attempts against them by far than any other team in the league because you get in shootouts with Seattle because they are definitely going to score 37, 38, 41 points, whatever it takes. So that's just some of this is about game flow against Seattle over the course of the season. But I don't I don't see any reason why that would be different here. The Bills are going to have to put the ball in the air. So there is a big flaming open question here as to whether we get like, you know, first first uh, four games of Josh Allen. He was he was damn near perfect. Right. It was over 300 yards a game on average. It was 12 touchdowns, like one pick. And then in his last four, it's been 211 yards a game four passing touchdowns and four interceptions. And obviously the weather was a, was a total mess last week, but I mean, he's got to be better. You're not going to, you're not going to get to wherever you need to get to, to beat Russell Wilson. If you're that turnover prone, he has to be almost perfect. Inviting these teams into ping pong matches has certainly been a trend though. And the Buffalo Bills defense, the run, well, the Buffalo Bills defense on balance has not been up to expectation has not been particularly good. Their run defense in particular has struggled over the past few weeks. We saw what Damian Harris was able to do against them in week eight. And now we have these backfield questions still about Chris Carson's availability in his stead, DJ Dallas. And of course, I mean, this is kind of what we talk about with Kansas City, right? Like if you have this incredible quarterback who can open up holes with his own legs for the for the running backs and he can stretch the field with these incredible pass catchers. Now there's more opportunity for these running backs and DJ Dallas has had himself a game last week, top five fantasy effort. So I would encourage everyone to hold on to DJ Dallas, but of course, keep an eye on whether or not Carson is going to hit the field in this one. 
Yeah, I have found that really frustrating because I've got I've got DJ Dallas on uh, one roster in which uh, you're you're in the league as well. No, uh, don't worry those, about me in that. One league. of those Brad Evans leagues. I don't even I don't even know which one of the Brad Evans leagues it is off the top of my head. But um, he had a great fantasy week without having a great week. Right? It was it was bailed out by the touchdowns. He was super inefficient. There were multiple plays where he pretty clearly um, did the wrong thing. Right? And but they had to keep coming back to him. There was there's no choice. Like they they had no other options in the backfield, and he had a huge workload and he you know managed to score a couple touchdowns and have a good fantasy week but he hasn't he hasn't like played his way into the mix when guys are healthy but i mean he's you know no hide this week we we assume um but carson being back would be a would be a huge deal so i like he's kind of burning a roster spot for me is is the way i'm thinking of it like i don't I, I, I kind of can't wait to drop him because I don't I don't think he's going to be a thing in the second half of the season unless there are multiple injuries in that backfield. Uh, he may not be a thing, but as you mentioned, nobody else is healthy. I mean, Travis Homer still has a, yeah. a bruised knee issue, and we know for sure that Hyde is out. So in a situation like this, maybe not even the most talented, and I think you're referencing the miscues where Russ had to like run himself and wasn't too pleased about that a, a couple of times uh, near the end zone. Yeah, any situation where like Russell Wilson has <laughs> to take a hit because you did the wrong thing is not, you know, that's not a good thing to have on your permanent record. Active for this game, though, is John Brown, who has been, you know, in and out of the lineup with uh, an injury. And I do think this is an opportunity, especially as I mentioned, with the over under being as high as it is to go ahead and feel like John Brown could have some flex appeal for you, especially because we know what his skill set is. We know his speed. And if he is healthy, then this is a place where I am willing to throw a dart and take a shot on him, especially if I've been, you know, if he's been sitting on my bench right now, let's blow off the dust and put him in. Yeah, it's a perfect spot for him. The The weather is actually supposed to be beautiful there. This I do a regular oh uh, radio hit in Buffalo, and they were talking <laughs> about what a wonderful like weather weekend it's going to be. So like we don't have any of last week's worries. There's not going to be a windstorm. It's a it's a great spot for John Brown. Andy Barron's coming to you with weather reports from Orchard Park. This is what 2020 has evolved into. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have to multitask. You can also give us a weather report from Chicago, though their matchup is on the road at Tennessee. Let's talk about Tennessee was one of the uh, more active teams uh, ahead of the trade deadline, releasing Vic Beasley. (laughs) Of course, the Falcons are probably like, we told you so. I don't know why you sat here thinking, (laughs) okay. Clowney is dealing with a knee issue. And so now we're thinking like maybe the Titans will not be able to pressure the Bears, who cannot withstand a lot of pressure, also when we're talking, you know, last week we talked about um, Nick Foles not having enough time because he hasn't been particularly, or not even particularly, like not at all protected. Now the Bears have two positive COVID tests along their O line. Oh, no practice on Thursday. Everyone yeah. working remotely. Do the um, deficiencies, the newest deficiencies, I guess you could say, in Tennessee offset the existing and now worse deficiencies <laughs> on the Bears O-line? I know it's uh, it's a super interesting question. It's like the it's the easily moved force uh, versus uh, like, <laughs> like easily totally moved movable force. object. And, yeah. yeah, like I mean, like I, I don't even know. The Bears offensive line was bad. And now like three fifths of it is on the covid list. Right. Or or um, close contacts. Um, Clowney has been clowney has been terrible. Um, that's been a that's been a pretty awful signing. Therese and Charles. Uh, oh, went through into it. a bit yeah. of his season on the uh, on the Sunday uh, uh, football podcast, which was a great conversation. Um, like he's just not getting home at all. And when he has a chance to, usually people are getting out of his out of his grasp. Um, so he hasn't been great. The team only has seven sacks on the season, which is either last or next to last in the NFL. So they haven't generated any pressure. And still, like with the way the pocket has been collapsing on Nick Foles again with a with a healthier offensive line, it's it's just hard for me to imagine that he's ever going to have more than two, two and a half seconds to throw the ball. So not one of those weeks where I would expect the uh, the splash play to a Darnell Mooney. I mean, I just I just doubt there's going to be any time for anything to develop downfield. So I don't wholly agree with you. He Darnell Mooney. I mean, I agree with you about the lack of time available to Nick Foles. However, Anthony Miller isn't fully healthy. We've seen him struggle through various injuries since the beginning of his career. He was limited in practice on Thursday, which I guess was this like virtual practice, right? Um, he has He's dealing with a toe issue. I don't like the sound of that at all. Jimmy Graham did practice, quote, in full, but he has a knee and a hamstring issue. And now when I am thinking about like the number of healthy bodies 
and opportunities available. And noting that you were right last week that Mooney, you know, he set up that he caught a, a pass for 55 yards that set up the Allen Robinson touchdown. And he also found the end zone. He had his highest snap total of the season. He's been gaining. He's number two in snaps among the wide receivers. I do yeah. think. He doesn't. The other thing about Mooney is that, like, we're not afraid of the Tennessee defense. We're not afraid of this of the secondary. And in fact, we're not afraid of it if we're Mooney because we know that Robinson is going to get most of the attention. And so, how many opportunities does Foles, who we know has a strong arm and likes to air it out when he's allowed to, need? in order to connect for a big play with Mooney. Will he catch maybe three, four balls? Sure, but could he get 70 yards, four, four catches for 70 yards and a touchdown? Like, I'm here for that. Yeah, it is It is sort of the the appeal of Mooney. He's got that that Devery Henderson thing, right? Sure. <laughs> Where, like when it, they just hit on one play and it can be a 50, 60-yard play. Um, and he has been routinely um, roasting corners all season. And you, you mentioned it, Tennessee's defense is not really a worry either against the run or the pass. They give up uh, uh, 4.7 yards per carry. They give up 269 passing yards per week. Like it's not, you know, they aren't winning necessarily with defense. So it is a good spot if the Bears can just protect Nick Foles for like three seconds occasionally to let Mooney get downfield. You, we, we make fair cases all along. So let, let's just put that good juju into the uh, <laughs> into the ether. Carolina at Kansas City is another interesting matchup. Um, I don't think anybody, when they looked at the schedule heading into this season, looked at this particular matchup and thought it might be as, I don't think we can call it necessarily competitive, but intriguing from a fantasy perspective, and it particularly because, like, now I'm thinking when I've got, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo out, a bunch of teams on by, Matt Stafford on the COVID list. Now, if he continues to test negative, he'll he'll play, and, th- and that's the likelihood of the situation. But, like, we're looking at streaming quarterbacks legitimately, and Teddy Bridgewater is an option in Week 9 when we're considering this particular matchup, especially when we're noting that Chris Jones is on the COVID list and might not take the field. Yeah, no, it's a uh, you're you're totally right, by the way, about um, the number of quarterbacks that are that are missing from the from the picture this week. Teddy's been obviously very good. They have like they get Christian McCaffrey back. So he gets sure, all those uh, he gets all those cheap and free yards that uh, that CMC can give you. Plus, he's got a wide receiver one and Robbie Anderson and like a wide receiver one a and DJ Moore. I mean, he's got weapons. He's played well this season. McCaffrey returning to the to the mix, which obviously commands a great deal of a defense's attention and is probably good for Anderson and more as well. Like Teddy's a Teddy's a very fair stream this week. I agree. When we're talking, you mentioned uh, Christian McCaffrey and perhaps that's where I should have started, but I saw the Chris Jones news and that was more uh, timely, I suppose. Christian McCaffrey's going to start. We've been talking since Mike Davis has been performing in his stead so admirably about you know, there's no way that Davis is like faded, right? He's earned a certain number of touches in his first game back and against uh, a defense that sells out against the run, right? That that says like, okay, fine. Like we can get you anyway. Fine. We'll be leaky against the run. What sort of, I mean, I think we all have Christian McCaffrey ranked in our top three. We're not never going to do that. But what sort of percentage of the touches in this backfield do you see Davis holding on to? I'm having a really difficult time imagining that Davis is going to see more than 15 or 20 percent. And that may seem like the wrong number. And I like I don't want to confuse Christian McCaffrey this year with like an entirely different coaching staff last year. But even in week one, McCaffrey was 97 percent of the snaps like he he just doesn't leave the field last year in a totally lost season when a very good argument can be made that they should have really shelved him or reduced his workload. They gave him over 400 touches pointlessly right like just just burning through usage of a great running back in a totally lost season they've also waited a reasonable amount of time this isn't like saquon barkley last year Mm, being a a hero coming back on a really short timeline like christian mccaffrey has had the normal recovery timeline from this injury so i don't expect him to come back in a in a seriously compromised state right and and like i think you just give christian mccaffrey as much work as he can handle which is like I'm guessing 80% of the 80% of the backfield snaps right away. I think that's probably a fair estimate. It, I'm more interested to see if Davis holds on to the goal line, especially if I'm worried about keeping Christian McCaffrey healthy. That remains to be seen. The other backfield, though, I just talked to Mauricio Gutierrez, who, spoiler alert, is our featured guest on the fantasy community segment for FFL this week. We, re- we pre-record that segment. And he writes a 
backfield confusion article, like how do you diagnose these crowded backfields? And he said, admitted himself, which I always love when fantasy analysts like sort of say like, eh, here's what I'm struggling with. So then it makes everybody else feel like maybe it's okay. <laughs> like we admit that. I, fe- that, you know. I feel like I, I, that's a good point. Like you should only trust the people who admit when they don't know a thing, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> there's no, there's no reason for anybody to, to, to say that they absolutely know what is going to happen in every situation all the time. That they are the most uh, omnipresent. But he he admitted that he's having trouble diagnosing the Chiefs' backfield because we didn't get that smash revenge game from Le'Veon Bell. Uh, it was all and we didn't we didn't even know we didn't see right like because it was Patrick Mahomes was just like you know what I'm I'm tired of like running around I'm gonna. I'm going to just toss the ball around because this is fun. Like he, he, you know, went back to Pee Wee and just had a great time against the Jets. So when I'm looking at this matchup in particular, though, I'm not as worried about the number of touches because I think the Carolina is so vulnerable against the run that I will get low end RB one numbers. I'm confident of that um, out of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And then I'll probably get uh, like, I have like top 28 numbers on that, like 28 to 24 range from Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, that's where I've got Bell in the ranks um, in a spot where you would clearly flex him Um, again, uh, like no need to belabor it. It's a it's a great matchup. Um, I feel like last week was a reminder that that Mahomes is just sort of the center of the Chiefs universe. And (laughs) they're never going to they're never going to make game plans that involve players other than you know Patrick Mahomes as the as the primary like it's all about Patrick Mahomes um and like they're just not going to go into a week saying hmm pretty good matchup for our running game here I guess we can give Pat Mahomes the week off you know like that's just not what they're going to do so what we've seen a couple weeks ago um right from the start of the Le'Veon Bell era in Kansas City was basically that Edwards Elaire is going to come out and he's going to start the game and Bell is going to rotate in if not every other series pretty close to it like it is going to be close to an even split um but they love Edwards Elaire he's obviously a, a a big time talent great receiver i agree with you i think he's a fringy rb1 rb2 type um, I would have I would start him here with full confidence. I mean, you you know, it's also one of those things where, like, you're kind of pot committed with where you drafted him and you're going to look for any excuse to start him. But I'm definitely not sending him to the bench. Um, I Like, I think he's obviously a strong play and a good matchup here. Are you setting Mark Ingram to the bench now? Because if we're talking about crowded backfields, we have to discuss Baltimore, which has become less crowded since Ingram did not practice on Wednesday and he's dealing with this ankle injury. It's unlikely that he's going to see the field on Sunday. So now we have Gus Edwards, Gus the bus, and we have, of course, the rookie J.K. Dobbins. Interestingly, it's Edwards who has, and you know, you said on FFL, I will bet against the Baltimore backfield every time. Um, And I think when you were saying that, you were shaving off right reasonably and rightfully so the hype that was leaning towards Dobbins right we want the rookie he's more exciting he's more explosive we've read all these scouting reports heading into the season and he had a monster week one but he hasn't found the end zone since week one Edwards has scored in back-to-back games but then he goes and has like a hundred plus Dobbins does a hundred plus yard game so I'm gonna continue and I've said this from the beginning to um, prioritize Dobbins ceiling over Edwards, but being mindful of the fact that that might mean that, that Dobbins isn't able to like fully be himself because of Edwards, not just, not just Edwards presence, but where on, when he is being used and what kind of touches he's receiving. I think the most important thing with this backfield is just to realize, like, I, I just thought it was disappointing to see so many people on uh, Twitter, on social media, like during the game last weekend, talk about how Dobbins should get all the touches. He, he should be the featured guy. Everybody like you can feel that way. That's fine. Baltimore clearly isn't going to do that. Like they're just absolutely not going to do that. They like Ingram. They like Edwards. They like Edwards as if he has pictures of somebody somewhere. Right. Like Edwards <laughs> is definitely seeing the field. The only way that J.K. Dobbins becomes a full workload feature back for the Ravens is Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram are both injured. Like, that's how that happens. It is not going to happen because anybody was really excited about him coming into this. The Ravens are excited about him. They they love him. They gave him a lot of burn last week. Edwards and Dobbins were both great. Edwards found the end zone. Dobbins was, was absolutely wonderful. Um, Jackson was great, too, like on the ground anyway. Like, it's going to be a committee. It's not going to be a situation where 
any one player here emerges as the overall number one. They're not going to kick Mark Ingram to the curb. Like Mark Ingram was having a good year, too, on very limited touches, right? Like Ingram was getting his 10, 11 carries per game. He's he's going to step back into that workload. Like, are you holding on to him or are you dropping him because of the? Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not dropping him. I mean, he's he's going to step right back into to a super annoying workload. I may not start him, but I. But I don't there's no part of me that thinks that Mark Ingram has been leapfrogged on the hierarchy in that backfield. Like I I will I will believe that they want to give J.K. Dobbins 20 or 25 touches when I see it. I still think that in a perfect world for that team, Ingram gets 10 carries and Gus Edwards gets nine carries and Dobbins gets, I don't know, three receptions and eight care. Like, that's just what it's going to be. It works. They they have a dominant rushing offense. This thing has worked all season. Ingram has been like perfectly efficient for them. I don't know. I just don't think it's going to change. That's a contrary. Just just so everyone's clear. Like, I, I don't mind the take at all. I have not dropped and I just did a bunch of drops because I was a little busy on Tuesday watching some other stuff. So I missed the waiver wire. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not drop Mark Ingram in a couple of leagues. That your take, though, is a contrary take. Like the, the most of the take is like, eh, it's over. You mentioned Twitter. I think. You talking about maybe prioritizing facts over feelings is part of a larger but dead-on conversation that the collective might want to have. I also think that the thing about Dobbins that was so exciting was his ability as a receiver, right? He had an every-down skill set, but he's not really Mm -hmm. being used as much in the passing game. And we can have a conversation about, we will in a second, about Baltimore's passing game. But the, the most number of receptions he has recorded all season is four, and that was against Kansas City. So... You know, coming off of a game where he's only seeing two targets, that's not enough total usage either. It'd be one thing if he was being used consistently and regularly and robustly in the passing game, but we're not seeing that to offset the touches that are, I guess, one might phrase being stealed away from him by Edwards. Yeah, like I'll also say, I think Dobbins is great. Um, it's sure. not it's not a question of his talent. I think they drafted him to eventually be an 18 touch, 20 touch player down the road, like past the Mark Ingram experience. Right. Like Ingram doesn't have very much time left in Baltimore. Obviously, Dobbins is great. I just don't think that this year they have any intent of, you know, they wouldn't have come into the season with three really good backs that they like if they'd intended to to figure out which one of them should take, you know, 30 touches a game. It's just not going to go down like that. Well, if fantasy Twitter is frustrated by J.K. Dobbins' lack of usage, that's nothing compared to how Hollywood Brown feels about his lack of usage. He sent out a little disgruntled tweet about his two targets last week, though. I mean, kind of what we said, right? Like, he did find the end zone. He didn't get the volume, but it just took... That's the beauty or the curse, depending on how you're looking at it, of Hollywood Brown and his feet. He was able to get over the Pittsburgh Steelers' secondary and find the end zone. And I am wondering, and I have to ask the question, like, is this a... Though Harbaugh doesn't portend to be this type of coach, but still, is this a squeaky wheel gets the grease situation? It also should be added that that Brown deleted his tweet after Harbaugh spoke to him. So there's been a conversation here. And we consistently, and this is a point, Andy, that you have made since the top of the season, and I think you deserve major props for it. But the Colts defense has consistently been good, right? Maybe like uh, they are, their yeah. sum is better than their individual parts, and that's a, a credit to Matt Eberflus. But you have said that that was maybe because he had, the, maybe the Colts have had like some, not so difficult opponents, right? A, a couple of tomato cans. And then last week we see Marvin Hall go off. We see Marvin Jones uh, find the end zone twice without Kenny Galladay in the mix. And so maybe this Colts defense is being exposed. And so the matchup isn't as bad for Brown as we think it is. Yeah, I don't think it's a total stay away matchup. I will also say I just I loved the way Lamar Jackson handled that situation, right? Like he's asked about it and it could have become a thing. Um, but Lamar was like, yeah, I got to get better. Um, we got to get him the ball. Right. Like and then and then it kind of goes away. Like there's nothing left to say when Lamar acknowledges that he's, you know, and they have they've they've had a couple of plays this year that 
could have been huge, right? And they were just near misses. And Lamar has talked about them after those games. Like Lamar's been really open about um, just just misfiring to Brown a handful of times, and it would make all the difference in his season statistically in his fantasy profile if uh, it, like if he just caught a couple of those uh, potential splash plays. So I love the way Lamar handled it. Brown, they don't use Brown. It's not this isn't like a situation where like Odell Beckham or somebody, some like really high volume receiver is complaining about not getting his usual 12 targets, you know, like they've been, you know, a big week for Marquise Brown is like is like six or seven targets. This isn't some high volume passing game. I think they go right back to getting him that if only because I've I've heard Lamar say it like two or three times this year, like acknowledging that they want to get Brown the ball more and not just, you know, 60 yards down the field. So I think they probably do. But uh, like, what does that mean within the context of the Ravens offense? I think it only means like seven or eight targets. I don't think it means, you know, oh, man, Hollywood Brown is in for is in for 14 targets this week. He's going off for 150 yards. I don't necessarily think that is happening, but they are definitely taking some deep shots here. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. But also when you nobody drafted like Devin DuVernay, right? Nobody drafted Willie Sneed. Nobody's really except if you're an exceptionally deep league, like putting Miles Boykin in their starting lineup. So when you drafted Brown as high as you did, you want to see him used. And you make a good point about Lamar admitting that the connection has been off and not particularly in sync. Um, It is worth mentioning that Brown continues to lead the team in targets, just over 40, though, so not a ton, which, you know, your point about volume is fair. Over 670 air yards, though. So it is it is a little bit gutting to see the potential and not feel it realized. And I am I am leaning towards a push in his direction. I am leaning towards, of course, like that's all wonderful to say. And then the game starts and you have what you have. But I do feel like there might be an (laughs) emphasis on getting him the ball more regularly in this matchup. And we have to talk about, we talked about the Colts defense a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the Baltimore defense because there's a bunch of COVID stuff. Marlon Humphrey, um, Patrick Queen, LJ Fort, like they're all on the COVID list. This would potentially be a spot for the Colts offense. And I'm going to say it without smirking to blow up. That seems nuts. But Philip Rivers has put together, he's strung together two solid performances, um, not without their moments, but that's the Philip Rivers experience. Except now we've got Hilton, T.Y. Hilton dealing with a groin injury. He didn't practice on Thursday. Marcus Johnson has got a knee. He didn't practice on Thursday. Who can uh, you uh, in the backfield too? Taylor has dealing with an ankle. He did practice. Uh, Wilkins, who who showed out big last week, has a groin issue. Like this Colts offense is not healthy. The only healthy options really are Zach Pascal. So we're we're running it back, I guess. This is 2019, yeah. and then we got Michael Pittman off of IR. <laughs> Yeah, um, we have Naheem Hines as well. Sure, um, obviously, they they love the tight ends. They've uh, all they three have, of them. They have manu- both manu- Yeah, that's the annoying thing. They've manufactured ways to get Trey Burton. That like Trey Burton scoring wildcat touchdowns on the goal line um, and only a handful of targets each week. But I think it's I think it's primarily Trey Burton, Pascal, um, Naheem Hines. I I like when T Y Hilton is dealing with a midweek injury like this. I'm I'm past the point where I expect him to play through it. Right, like we've we've had. This fire drill before I'm not I'm not holding out any hope for him I'll probably like remove him from my ranks entirely you guys want to like you asked about dropping Mark Ingram earlier I would feel more comfortable dropping T.Y. Hilton than I would Mark Ingram I think like he's just hard to hold on to and hard to start at this point hasn't visited the end zone in a long time um so yeah I think it's the tight ends I think it's Hines man I tried to I tried to get clever in DFS last week and and play like the Lions defense, which was like a minimum no cost, you know, build the rest of your lineup up and and just count on Philip Rivers to turn the ball over a couple times, which he'll do usually against anyone, no matter the quality of the defense. But no such luck. Speaking of Detroit, let's talk about their matchup against the Vikings. No Kenny Galladay in this one. (laughs) Talked about Matt Stafford already. Um, Minnesota's. Secondary is obviously really banged up and they've made a lot of moves on their defense. I think for me on the Lions side of things, I understand that the predominant thought in fantasy circles is Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola. Those guys are going to see a boost in volume because Kenny Galladay's out. Matt Harmon and I talked about this on the wrap up show uh, on Monday. I don't think Marvin Jones, despite his two touchdowns last week, is like a solid wide receiver one. Like, I I just don't... I, I know that the matchup is favorable, and I understand using him, 
But why? Like, why in week nine in 2020 <laughs> are you going to do that? Like, I honestly would prefer, and this isn't how I have them ranked, but this is just like, I don't, also, there's just like a personal philosophy. Like, I am never, you know this in leagues with me, I'm never going to finish fourth. I am either going to finish first or dead last. Right, right. <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like I live a lot of my life in a reasonable and responsible and floor-based manner. So when I play my <laughs> damn game... I am going to start Marvin Hall ahead of Marvin Jones because, geez, Louise, that is more exciting. It is more exciting. Like, I think, especially in real life, Marvin Jones is just very well cast as a as a supporting receiver, right, as a as a number two receiver. I can't imagine anybody actually ranking him as a as an overall wide receiver one, no, no matter like how great this matchup is and is great. Um, Minnesota gives up 8.2 yards per attempt on the season. They've been a, they've been mostly a lousy defense all year. Um, It is a, it is a good spot for the lions, but yeah, I'm kind of with you on hall at seven targets last week, four catches stepped right into the volume that you would have expected for Kenny Galladay is obviously not Kenny Galladay. I think he gives up about six inches to Kenny Galladay. They're not particularly similar players, but I think he's going to see plenty of volume in this one. And then like, Hawkinson has been has been super bankable. I think Hawkinson is a really good play here. Uh, he's got four TDs on the season, coming off a ten target game. I would ex- like it's not going to shock me at all if uh, if Hawkinson leads that team in targets. I think that's a fair. I mean, I think Hawkinson gets an automatic boost. He was a great value in DFS last week, and he is continuously mm-hmm. and he had scored in in a couple of straight games. So he's if you can talk floor at tight end right now, which is almost hard to say out loud he is probably (laughs) one of the few floor plays at the position that is regularly producing I one stat about Minnesota secondary that I found that also led me to like Hall because as Andy mentioned he's not by any means a copy and paste version of Kenny Galladay but he does have an incredible speed element and he has been very inconsistent there's no denying that but like 113 yards the bulk of which were was on a 70 plus play I'm, I'm, you know what he does. Like, you can see what he's doing right there. Yeah. And Minnesota secondary has allowed the most receptions over 40 yards. So what the Vikings defense doesn't do is exactly what Hall can. And for that reason, I'm going to flex him anywhere that you don't snipe him from me, frankly. Love it. <laughs> Andy is a Love quick, it. That's a great point. quick draw on that waiver wire. I can never beat you. <laughs> I, I do make it a habit to get like I get up really early yeah. on waiver day and I always get the I always try to get those freebies. You you absolutely do. I'm always like, God damn it. I'm going to see who's got them. Oh, Andy's <laughs> got them. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, let's talk about Denver and Atlanta, because if we are talking about personal, exciting, feeling things like in all of the chakras, give me swaggy Drew in week nine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. From my crown chakra to my root chakra, I am vibing with all that he is laying down, especially against Atlanta. And I think you agree with me, which I hope means that you haven't cursed me. Yeah, it's a it's a problem uh, if I <laughs> if I try to make bold predictions about players that we mutually like. But I, it, you, it's hard not to like Drew Locke in this spot, right? Like he's first of all, he's just a he's just a fun game watch experience. Maybe maybe that's not true if you're a Broncos fan. Like there's obviously there's some head scratching moments. There's some throws that he might want back, but he's a he's a fun watch. Obviously, he's fun on the sidelines. Um, there are fantasy intangibles here. He's just a good experience overall. And the matchup is unbelievable. Um, Atlanta has allowed six quarterbacks to go over 300 passing yards so far this season. They also allowed the combo of Bears quarterbacks to go over 300 yards. So we could call it seven. Like they've just been a super vulnerable defense all year. Give up, um, I think, the second most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks, the most to opposing tight ends. They're just like they're generous all over the field Um, is a great spot for Locke. And you assume it's going to be a bit of a back and forth game. So. I don't know, put me down for for 330 and three touchdowns and a and a pick and I don't know what else from Drew Locke. Oh my God, I am every single preach meme I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> last point on this, Tack McKinley and Dante Fowler both banged up. So there's, I mean, listen, there's never been much of a pass rush. Just at, I mean, the Vic Beasley. Yeah. <laughs> like there's never been much of a pass rush in Atlanta, but this makes it all the more 
snackable, exciting, delectable. And um, Tim Patrick is back to health. And you've got Noah Fant getting healthier. And you've got Albert O emerging. I'm very excited for this one. The uh, entertainment value be, should be high. We should mention um, another one of the players, the only one on Denver side that I frankly haven't talked about is Philip Lindsay. He didn't practice on Wednesday, but then he did get in a limited practice on Thursday. He's dealing with jammed toes, apparently. Um, he is expected, as of this recording, to suit up on Sunday. Melvin Gordon has been seeing the majority of the touches, has been out edging him. But when you see Philip Rivers, rip, I mean, Philip Lindsay rip off a 55 yard run like you did last week, you understand why he's in this backfield. Atlanta's run defense, however, you know, much stiffer than their pass defense. Yeah, it is. But you're right. Like the work belongs to Melvin Gordon, but then all the highlights belong to to mm -hmm. Philip Lindsay, right? Like a really strong play. I hope this isn't one of those situations where where a team is just finding a, a euphemism for turf toe. I hope it's nothing like that. Like I oh. hope it's a a quickly recoverable situation because Lindsay's been great on on pretty small workload. Like if you give him ten touches, he's a very good bet to to take one of them for at least forty yards. On the Atlanta side of things, Calvin Ridley did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday, though the x-rays um, on his foot injury from last Thursday night did return as negative. So keep an eye on Friday or Saturday. Obviously, if he's on the field, you're starting him. A.J. Bouye for the Denver secondary is in the concussion protocol. So if he weren't to play or manage to pass the protocol, then Julio would, you know, you'd feel more comfortable about Julio, not that you're ever worried about him assuming he's healthy anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's always a full green light on Julio when he's when he's healthy, but it would this would really be a blow up spot without Boye. Um so the trash dumpster fire, the trash fire, the dumpster fire <laughs> uh continues in the NFC East and we get to watch it. With the Giants at the Washington football team, here's a fun note. Devonta Freeman is back at practice. Uh, he was on Thursday, but all that means is that we can't see the Alf Morris revenge game happen. <laughs> I had, I got to admit, I had not even thought of the Alf Morris revenge game. That, oh. oh man, that would have been a that would have been a fun one. I actually think like the sneaky like best waiver pickup of this week and it wasn't this wasn't like a particularly fun week waiver wise but Washington's defense here mm. was an obviously great ad. First of all you're you're going against Daniel Jones who like in his heart wants to give you the football, right? So there's <laughs> there's like an automatic there's an automatic one turnover there, probably two turnovers there. But the other thing about this is that Washington's D has been like legitimately good. They rank first against the pass. They're sixth in sacks. They are fourth in defensive DVOA, like like higher analytics and just the low level stuff. They look good in all categories. So it's a legit good defense. And their upcoming, it's not just the Giants. It's that they get the Giants and then they get then they get the Lions and they get the Bengals and they get Dallas. Like they have a slate of games coming up that is super friendly. And obviously they have some some divisional games that are full of turnovers later in the season, too. So like this is just it's just a D that you can probably pick up and start for at least a month. So I, I think they're a really so we never talk defenses here, but I think they're a very strong play, probably a, a top five unit for the week. Also allowing the fifth fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs further muddying the backfield situation or making it less delectable, I suppose. Not that it ever was. Uh, in New York, that's a perfect transition, though, to talk about Washington because when we're talking about matchups, we've been talking all season about James Bradbury and how effective he has been. So you have to imagine that he and Terry McLaurin will face off. That doesn't mean you sit Terry McLaurin. That's just something to note when you're setting, when you're creating yeah. your roster construction. And then there's, there's the question like, okay, well, do I throw a dart at like Dontrell Inman or what am I doing here? And I, I would say I'm not messing with any of these other receivers. I will, however, throw a flyer on Logan Thomas, who was widely dropped yeah. because he was on bye last week, but heading into the bye, found the end zone. And while his production over the course of the season has been frustratingly inconsistent with Kyle Allen under center, I don't understand how or why, like mind blow emoji. <laughs> He has been legit hashtag good. He's put together two top nine fantasy performances and I think is uh, a, he's 27% rostered last I checked right now. So if you're looking for a stream at a position that doesn't offer much consistency, how about an inconsistent converted quarterback? 
Yeah, I, I will fully co-sign that. I, it won't surprise you to learn that I had George Kittle on a lot of rosters. And I would say that my my primary replacement has been Logan Thomas. Had him already in a couple leagues that the only issue has really been it's like he's been a frustratingly low volume receiver. Right. But they but the flip side of that is at least they target him when they get inside the 10 yard line. Um, he's been busy when they get in the red zone, which is, you know, if he's going to be low volume, at least let's concentrate that volume inside the inside the 20s, which is what is happening. Um, so he's he's got touchdowns in back to back games. He's obviously talented. It's a it's a team where like the fight to be the number two receiver is just wide open. So certainly anytime Logan Thomas is in a matchup where you think he might actually get six, eight targets, that's exciting. But even on four targets, he's he's paying the fantasy bills. And this uh, tight end is just such a such a minefield this year. And there have been so many injuries and disappointments like Thomas is probably going to end up finishing as like a top eight tight end. If he just scores seven touchdowns or so on the season, he's going to finish as a tight end uh, uh, top top seven or eight. You are now, because I've I've said it, so I've proclaimed it, our defensive expert uh, among the Yahoo analysts. <laughs> so I want to ask your advice about streaming Houston's defense, which would normally not be well advised, but perhaps in a week where Jake Lutton is the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, something you consider. So I spent actually a little bit of time. It's funny that you bring this up. I've spent a little bit of time on this today because other than other than catching some like late night Pac-12 action, I did not see a lot of him when he was a collegiate player. Right. But he was um, especially in his final year. He was pretty clean. 20, I think 28 touchdown passes, only three interceptions. Obviously, somebody who's who's never seen the the kind of speed that he's about to see. Right. And he's he, like he's about to get a whole new experience. Houston obviously hasn't been a good defense this year. Um, they've given up 17 pass TDs, only one interception on the season. They've been the most vulnerable defense to opposing rushers. Right. So it's a, it seems like a good spot for James Robinson, although they'll surely load up the box to beg the uh, the untested quarterback to throw the ball. I don't think that Luton is one of those like this isn't like the Cowboys quarterbacks that they're going to end up starting like one of those guys. Like oh. He was a little bit better than that. He was he was pretty clean in college. So I'm I'm not assuming that this is going to be a three interception game. It might like he's he's never seen what he's about to see. But uh, but I'm not it's not quite as inviting as I'd expected. Plus, the Jags have some real weapons at receiver. DJ Chark is still a great player. I know it doesn't feel like it um, off of a disappointing fantasy season, but he's a crazy athlete and a great receiver. And Cole is good. And like they have they have some weapons. So I don't know if it's a blow up spot for Houston. I would certainly rather have added uh, uh, Washington for the week. But like it's got it's got all the elements you look for. Untested young quarterback for sure. We're talking. You mentioned rightly so that James Robinson is obviously highly ranked player this this week um and and dj tark remains good um i when we talked in the last when we talked about logan thomas like there are places where tight end is a minefield to quote you and i have been forced to start tyler eifert in various places (laughs) because we have this young quarterback and we have a defense that's been inconsistent and eifert has been the forgotten man. He did. He was it, surprised. He was injured earlier this season, but he is. Uh, he was a full participant in practice, and so he is expected to make the field. So again, it's not something that I was. This is also like in my own research. Like I was setting my lineups before we came on to record, and I was like, "Oh, I'm banged at tight end. Like it's Jason Witten or Tyler Eifert here. I don't know what I'm gonna do." <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I just want to throw that out to anyone who might be as desperate as I am. Um, so Will Fuller's not going to the Packers, though. It doesn't look like that's a thing that's happening. That's exciting. Yeah, that was really exciting. Um, I, I needed that. Uh, I needed that for this week. I couldn't have any lack of clarity with Will Fuller. For the sake of the Jacksonville offense, too, like it would be great if this could be a game where Houston actually like is a, is a totally competent offense like really early. Um, and gets out like it's great. Jacksonville doesn't stop anything. Jacksonville is a very poor defense. So there's there should be no reason that Houston can't pile up points in this game. They should get to like 31, 34. It's a great spot for him. W- Will Fuller's been a, like crazy consistent. Like he's been exactly the opposite of what you expected from Will Fuller. Like I thought Will Fuller could finish as a as maybe a, a very high end wide receiver too off of, if he just stayed healthy off of his usual like two huge games two okay games and then he disappears for 12 right like but that would 
but but that can add up to a wide receiver two season. But instead, he just scores every week. He's just been super bankable every week. And interestingly, the uh, over-under on this game is at 50 and a half. So I feel like if Lutton is, as you're saying, I, I did not go back and watch any Oregon State tape. I'm going to be honest. So, I mean, Jason, you can ding me. No bonus. Um, <laughs> um, but Andy, way to, way to go with your commitment. But if he is a little better than expected, then that becomes an interesting point total to perhaps play with. I wonder what Minty Betts will think. I'm sure we'll talk about that on FFL as well. But we wanted to say thanks again to our sponsors for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. Now we're going to move into the Sunday late games. We've got the Dolphins at the Cardinals. Biggest news here is that Miles Gaskin is on IR. The presumptive thought would be that Matt Burrito could finally do something. <laughs> but he is injured and he's dealing with a hamstring issue. It's not great like for a speed guy to have a soft tissue situation. So he's questionable for Sunday does that mean that Jordan Howard is now like a top 35 play, Andy? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm holding out hope that, you know, like Matt Breida's calling card with the Niners was that uh, in the in the weeks that you didn't think he was going to play, mm. he, he would take the field and then he would blow up, right? Like he seemed to be at his best every time he came into a game sort of ambiguously injured. Um, but this is a hamstring. It's not it's not like his usual ankle injury. He was he was also one of my my favorite waiver targets this week. And then too late in the game, I realized that he was actually dinged. So I'm hoping he plays. You know, he'd been he'd been one of those guys that I was excited about preseason, then dropped him after like week three and then had to spend some fab on him to reacquire him. And so, like, hopefully he can go because I like I don't think there's much of a comparison between him and, and Jordan Howard. I like coaches love Jordan Howard and Jordan Howard is a totally competent like paint by numbers sort of running back. But Brita has um, some special traits that I, I don't think Howard has. Yeah, so like Howard is is sort of flexish. Uh, uh, if Brita can't go, maybe Patrick Laird enters the mix too, He's but not, not in a, any sort either, of way though. that you're going to... Yeah, nobody here is healthy. You certainly wouldn't start him. Howard is Howard is the most startable name in that backfield. Like, I don't I don't know where the I don't know where the targets would go. Like Howard, obviously not a gifted receiver at all. And um, into his first start, like Miles Gaskin was the target leader. So I like if Breed is not out there, I don't know who can catch those. Well, that becomes the wrinkle because you have this rookie quarterback and he didn't have to do a lot last week. But against Arizona, a team that an offense that can absolutely put up points, he's going to have to answer with his arm, which makes Burita much more interesting. Also, wasn't Burita like the fastest ball carrier in 2019 on some crazy wild run? Like that was the splash moment for him. Yeah, no, they the Niners had the two guys in in Mostert and Brita that that would that would consistently hit like, you know, 22, 23 miles an hour in the yeah. next gen stats. Yeah, I would like to throw out Preston Williams here. Andy and I have talked about him as like a proper red zone target. Two point conversions rapport with uh, Fitzpatrick, for, certainly. But as I just mentioned, I think two is going to have to throw it. And while you've got Patrick Peterson covering Devonte Parker and, you know, people be like, oh, but Patrick Peterson's getting flamed. But you know, Russell Wilson stayed away from DK Metcalf because Patrick Peterson was on him. So let's not completely discount yeah. this all pro player, um, especially if we've got a rookie quarterback under center. So I think Preston Williams might be in a position to sneak up on someone. And he is available in I think he's rostered in somewhat like 30 under 30 percent of league. So, again, if you're looking at like a surprise flex who was maybe forgotten about because of the buy the buy timing, then he might uh, work out. Oh, I like I like that call a lot. Um, I like that call a whole lot. Like Tua is just coming off such a weird game because obviously he didn't need to throw the ball too much. They like his receivers dropped everything. There were, you know, I, I, he was like 12 for 22, something like that. But there were like there were four just stone cold drops like that could have been a reasonable day. Um, it didn't have to be a 90 yard performance. So there was there was a little bit to like there in a in a performance where we just didn't see a whole ton from him. From the Arizona side of things, Kenyon Drake did not practice on Wednesday, uh, but his ankle injury is not as severe as initially believed. So keep an eye on him. 
Miami's defense was thought of a bit thought of to be a bit of a tomato can earlier in the season, but Flores has done a great job. And frankly, when Byron Jones came back from injury, the whole unit stiffened, and we saw that last mm. week. So um, I think it's not going to stop you from starting any of these Arizona players, but just don't, I don't know, expect the, don't expect the Dolphins squad at the top of the season, uh, the Dolphins defense at the top of the season to show up in this game because they've gotten better. Yeah, they have been poor against the run. So if if we do get like a full workload from Chase Edmonds, he's he's just a stellar start here, obviously. The Chargers traded away Desmond King. Uh, he didn't play last week versus Denver. So now when we're looking at this matchup against the Raiders, Carr, who I, you know, thought would do better than last week, although Matt made the point about um, maybe the ele- elements, not the elephants. You can see where my mind is going. <laughs> um, the, uh, where the, <laughs> maybe the elements had something to do with the lack of production overall in the game against Cleveland. Um, but now, can Carr, who previously had been, you know, the week before, last week, what was that, week seven, had managed top 12 numbers, is this an opportunity I think this could be, this is a fun game too. Like this is a, an opportunity for a bit of a ping pong match as well. Yeah, I, I love this. This is one of those things where like when I was a kid, when the Chargers and Raiders played, like that was fun. It was going to be back and forth. And these are the dark ages of the NFL, right? When there's not a lot of back and forth games and we don't see a lot of 35 to 31 shootouts, but the Raiders and Chargers could could give it to you. And this feels a little bit like that. I think you just have to throw out last week from the from the Raiders perspective, because that was clearly a game where the quarterbacks were affected by by wind. Um, I think Carr tried one deep shot with Nelson Aguilar and it wasn't within 10 or 15 yards of him. Right. And then they just there were just no deep plays uh, to to rugs or Aguilar to be had. But you you have to not worry about that. I, w- I will say Henry Ruggs got robbed of a touchdown last week. Anyway, that's my complaint that is going to go on too. forever. But those guys are going to be back just fine. And Aguilar is only one week removed from seeing nine targets. He, like, he's come into a significant role. Ruggs is still a very good player. So, like, all, the deep ball is open for both of these teams. This should be this should be really fun. I, I think Carr is entirely streamable here. A little bit tricky because of Trent Brown's continued COVID drama. He's back on the COVID list now. Um, that seems a bit co- cloaked in mystery, but I think overall I like Carr as a, as an, another, you know, well, I think top 15, there's a bunch of these quarterbacks that are in like that top 12 to top 14, top 15 range that you yeah. can kind of flip flop depending on your personal taste. But, and as we said a couple of weeks ago, stop calling Justin Herbert a sleeper. He's not a sleeper. He's, he's a starter. And he is going to smash. I will say last thing about the Chargers, unless you have another salient point to make, which you have plenty of. Um, I dropped Josh Kelly in a league. Like, I, I can't do it anymore, especially when I saw yeah. that Pope was going to be active for Sunday. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, 15 touches for Pope as well. It was a, it was a great game for like kind of quietly because I don't think he found the end zone, but uh, 100 plus yards, 100 plus total yards for Justin Jackson. That was good to see. And, and Kelly now is like the number three back. No, yeah, you can't you can't hold on to him. You mentioned that Dallas was not starting Ben DiNucci. We don't know <laughs> who they're starting. There's a week nine quarterback competition between Garrett Gilbert and Cooper Rush. I don't really have anything else to say the, about that. Did you go ahead these, and watch these that? These two, too? like, it's incredible that, like, just all, all I've done is gone back and look at, like, college numbers on these guys i haven't i'm not i'm not i'm not going to invest time in but like at some at some point you have to draw a line on like what film you actually want to watch cmu you're not taking in any cmu games i'm not i'm afraid i am not this is this is where i've drawn the line i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take a deep dive on garrett gilbert but i will tell you that he had a collegiate touchdown to interception ratio of 49 to 45 which is considered bad (laughs) That's like that's terrible. That's who we're down to. Um, and Oof. completed less than sixty percent of his throws. Cooper Rush, in his uh, like a, a long career, I think he was a four year starter at Central Michigan, fifty five interceptions. So these are two turnover prone, like as collegiate players, they were turnover prone passers. They're about to face the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, 
which is pretty legit. Like this isn't debuting against some uh, NFC East opponent. Like this is one of the league's best defenses and you're already a turnover prone player. Like Pittsburgh is probably the number one defense for the week for fantasy purposes here. I'm talking defenses again, but they are <laughs> um, the, like neither one of these guys. I, I like it would it would shock me if either one of them um, passes the eye test for any length of time. I think Ben Denucci looked at the schedule and like got a doctor's note uh, to Mike McCarthy. <laughs> it was like, can't can't do it. Here's my excuse. <laughs> absent yep. that day uh yeah it's it's gonna be messy and ugly everybody gets a downgrade you would think okay well can zeke survive on volume even last week you you know you were hesitant about it with um Danucci under center but now zeke is rehabbing a hamstring injury so i guess if we're like throwing darts tony pollard who has been admirable and does have incredible pass catching ability which you imagine these quarterbacks are going to be checking down quite a bit. I just don't like the matchup against the Steelers' run defense. But, like, is there a world in which Tony Pollard becomes RB4-ish if, if Zeke continues to labor through the hamstring issue? Yeah, it would probably have to happen on receiving volume. It would probably have to be, you know, full PPR league. And at some point they just wave the white flag and Tony Pollard comes on the field. I, I assume that what they're planning to do is just lean heavily on Zeke Elliott, which obviously isn't going to work because Pittsburgh's going to get up two, three scores really early. And like, you're just not going to be able to, what are you going to do? Hand the, hand the ball off three times and then punt? Like, is that going to be your whole offense? No, this, this seems so entirely one-sided that I can't, I can't make a very good case for any Dallas skill players, which is crazy given where they started the season. But I, I mean, I have a bunch of Dallas receivers on roster still. I, I feel like the, you know, it's one of those situations where like the brand name is too strong. You don't, you don't want to drop them but I don't want to start them and they don't have any trade value. So like they're just burning bench spots for me, but I'm, I'm not starting Dallas receivers anywhere. You don't have a choice as a, as a, as somebody who's invested in Zeke Elliott, right? Like at some point running back always looks terrible beyond the top, you know, 16, 20, something like that. So I can't, I can't make a compelling case to actually bench Zeke uh, if, if he's good to go in this one, but I don't think he's going to find the end zone. I think this is another week in which Dallas finishes with like six or nine points and loses by 20. I agree wholeheartedly. I am starting because I, I mean, it's a dynasty league and it's a, it's an orphan. So I'm being, it's reworked. Um, I am, <laughs> I can tell myself a story where Michael Gallup can perform as a flex. If we know his skill yeah. set and we know that he can get over the top on the on the Steelers defense. And and again, we know that the volume's not going to be there, but like, can Gallup do it in three targets? Can he catch two of those and have a Hollywood Brown, frankly, S game? I think so. So that would be the only one of these receivers that I can tell myself the best story about, even though he has been up until this point the least productive of the three. Yeah. Your your hope here is that one of these quarterbacks, whichever one they choose while while definitely turning the ball over probably three times and taking some unnecessary sacks can also be good enough to sustain some drives, right? Like, that's really what we need. If they can just do that, then maybe one of these receivers will produce a, a reasonable fantasy week. I should I should amend my prior comment. I think I am going to end up starting Michael Gallup in Super League, but that's a that's a 20 team league with like two flex spots. So he's he's the one guy that I'm actually going to I'm, I'm going to pull the trigger on. I feel you. 14-team dynasty. Uh, Sunday night game, we've got a rematch of week one, but this time it's at the pirate ship. That was my best Chris Berman. Uh, Drew, <laughs> <laughs> Drew Brees and Tom Brady on this week's episode of Mad Bets. The question was, who would score more touchdowns in this one? And I think the question was asked because the assumption was that Michael Thomas would be back. He was back at practice on Wednesday. I think he was limited a little bit on Thursday, so we're not 100% sure, and I know we've said this a bunch of times. We, too, would like to know for sure. Emmanuel Sanders back. So, in theory, Drew Brees will have his full complement of, of weapons. Tampa Bay's defense, obviously, by no means a pushover. And on the other side of things, Tom Brady likely to get Chris Godwin back. He's likely to be back from that in index finger issue. And we have, this is burying the lead, Antonio Brown starting for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can you imagine the number of Antonio Brown questions we're going to get on Sunday, by the way? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, where do you have him ranked? I Like, I have him ranked as my wide receiver 25 right now, and it felt like a bit of a placeholder. I have no idea what this is going to look like, but it was encouraging 
that uh, uh, his, you know, his one game with Tom Brady basically, you know, just met him, um, just stepped into the building and well, then came he out didn't and had just four catches, 56 yards. No, right. But last season, you know, 56 yards right off the bat, they targeted the heck out of him immediately, scored a touchdown. Right. So like it was pretty smooth right away. Which is which is more than you would normally expect from a receiver just sort of joining a team midseason. So I'm I'm kind of optimistic that it's going to be a wide receiver two ish week. If he comes out of the gates and gets like 10 targets, I I will have ranked him very badly, though. I have him at a wide receiver 29. So similarly, and I actually have for right now, we're recording on Thursday night, he and Chris Godwin back to back because I want to see if there are any setbacks with Godwin and how healthy in fact he is. I have to believe that Antonio Brown is going to get fed because of the points you made and also because of the health of the rest of the options available to Tom Brady. There's there's no way that you would bring Antonio Brown into your yeah. into your program, right? And then and then not give him all the targets that he's looking for, right? Like you just don't bring him in to like the Tyler Johnson role where he only has like every three weeks sort of value. It's not going to be like that. He's going to, he's going to see like seven, eight targets a game by the second, by, you know, by the time we get into December. As much as we're expecting Drew Brees to be buoyed by Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, it's also worth noting that on Thursday during practice, he was working off to the side because he's dealing with a shoulder issue. And this game is on the road. This is not a home dome game for Drew Brees. So, And Alvin Kamara did not practice with a foot issue on Wednesday, though he is expected to start and obviously going to start him if he's on the field. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering... We're expecting, I think a lot of people are expecting Drew Brees to just bounce back. He scored twice in week one. And and now that he's got his his weapons back and his wide receiver one, he should be different. But I'm this is always the time of year when Drew Brees' shoulder starts to get a little bit less active and the dwindling starts to happen. Like I am I am I am interested, not for fantasy purposes, but for real life football purposes, to see how much activity Taysom Hill has in this one. I'm not, again, I'm not protecting like big numbers for Taysom Hill, but I want to see if there is is a shift starting. I, I think that's a really good point because we, you know, if if the offense doesn't look different in terms of like actual play calling, in terms of where the targets go with Thomas back, with Sanders back, that's going to be a real concern because Drew Brees like right now, as he, as he was earlier in the season, he's still dead last in intended air yards per target at, at like 5.8. Like these, these two quarterbacks, um, you know, obviously linked throughout their careers. Tom Brady's still near the top of the league in, in air yards. It's like nine air yards per target and, and Brees is dead last and nothing ever goes downfield that, that bears game. Um, and I guess we could blame the wind for this. We could blame conditions, although it was a pretty nice day. Like it was a little windy, but it was a pretty nice day. And Breeze had some throws where he wasn't hit and they were just like scudded. They were they just bounced in front of receivers. It, it just wasn't the usual sort of surgical everything on the hands in the in the short passing game that you would have expected from Drew Breeze. And it, it was it was worrisome. Um, he always he always still like this season, for the most part, he still manages to deliver a totally useful fantasy day. And it's not when you look at the final numbers, it's not that worrisome. But as a as a game watching experience, it is clearly not anything close to vintage Drew Brees. When you talk about game watching experiences, it's disappointing that we have to end on the matchup against the Patriots <laughs> and the Jets. How sad are you if you're a Jets fan, by the way? And this is your mat. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, the Jets, like, continuously hate the uh, hate New England. So Sam Darnold mispracticed on Thursday. Everybody's favorite disappointed dad, Adam Gase, feels like he's still pretty good. <laughs> Should be ready for Monday. Might be Joe Flacco. Doesn't matter. Jamison Crowder also mispracticed on Thursday. I don't think we need to talk about any of the Jets here. Let's focus. The only, the, the biggest question, you mentioned Jacoby Myers heading into week eight, and that was spot on. He was the receiver that stepped up in the melange of meh that the other receivers are. Yeah. Damian Harris obviously had his second hundred plus yard game. Sony Michelle, however, because the Patriots can't ever not Patriot is now back at practice, though he hasn't been activated from IR. Are you sticking with Harris? I will say for myself, from an efficiency standpoint, I can not back Sony Michelle. Yeah, I, I feel like Harris is the on, only startable player involved in this game, right? <laughs> like I can't, oh, I don't, you know, obviously, obviously Cam Newton is not an ideal starter. Cam has not thrown for over 200 yards um, since week two 
Uh, he's, he doesn't have a touchdown and pass, I think, since September. Yeah, that was, yeah, exactly. And that was a spectacular matchup. And that is his only game over 200 yards. Um, again, no, no TD passes since September. He's, um, I get that there's a rushing upside, but there's zero passing upside. So can't start Cam. I think Harris is, is going to be one of those tricky players in that, like, they just don't throw to him ever. So if they do get in situations in which, you know, they, they've got to, they've got to chase points a little bit, they're in, they're in negative game script. Harris probably isn't going to be on the field, but there's, almost no threat of that here. Like Harris is definitely going to get his 16, 18 carries in this one really strong candidate to go over a hundred yards again. So I can't, like, I can't even make a case for another player as obviously startable. Looking ahead to Sunday, let's make some nutty predictions. Thanks to planters. I'm going to go first this time and set up my friend, Andy Barons, and I am going to start with swaggy drew smashing in week nine. <laughs> I like to call him the green gunslinger, and he is coming off of an impressive victory in which he threw for almost 250 yards, three touchdowns, only one interception. He closed out week eight as fantasy's QB8. Uh, this weekend, he's going to take on the Falcons defense, which we mentioned earlier in the podcast. They are allowing an average of over 320 passing yards per game and the most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks per contest. Denver's defense is also banged up. We talked a little bit about that. That means there could be some ping pong opportunity here. You've got the emerging Albert O. You've got Tim Patrick healthy. You've got Noah Fant getting healthier. All of this sets up very nicely for Drew Locke in a smash spot. Andy, who do you have? I love that call. I think Drew Locke is going to be a great play this week. Um, like most quarterbacks against uh, against Atlanta, I think Drew Locke is going to go for more than 300 yards. I'm going to I'm going to tie myself to the same game and the same player and say that Noah Fant is going to finish as a top three fantasy tight end this week. Fant is coming off a nine-target game. Not only has Atlanta been super generous to opposing quarterbacks, they give up the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. Fant is going to be heavily targeted. He's hyper-athletic. We've seen huge weeks against the Falcons from Robert Tanyan, from Dalton Schultz, from TJ Hawkinson. It's, Jimmy Graham had a huge week against the Atlanta defense. This is a great spot for Noah Fant. If he just sees his usual target volume, he's going to score once, maybe twice. Going to be a huge week. Two predictions out of a Denver game. Those are indeed some nutty predictions right there. What can you say? We're a bit nuts. Thanks again to Planters, and we remind you at home or wherever you are to stay satisfied with Planters. Woo! All right, Sunday, big show. As always, 90 minutes before kickoff. Regardless of where you live, 90 minutes before kickoff, we will be kicking off with FFL. Be sure to tune into that. We also have podcasts. Andy talked about the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. I listen to it regularly. Andy listens to it regularly. We also have the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. Go download and subscribe to all of those podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters. The Week 9 recap will be on Monday. Scott will be filling in for Matt, and we'll talk to you then. 